Hello and welcome to another episode of Georgie's Stripping the Dipping podcast. We are that motorsport podcast that brings voices to you from throughout the paddock and beyond. Champions, legends, new starters, talent that's up and coming, engineers and media and so on. Today I have a guy that's living his dream. In fact, he's probably living most of our dreams. He was a sim racing engineer. He's now also a fully fledged racing engineer. He is the director of his own company, A Cup of Racing. None other than David De Rossi. How are you doing, David? David, how's it going? All good, all good. Thank you, and always nice to be back again. It's the third time. So here we yeah. are. How are you? I'm very good. You're joining an illustrious group, a small group of people that I think will be on the podcast three times. So thank you. We're really blessed to have you back with us. Yes, like VIP party or stuff like that, organized. Absolutely. <laughs> I would like to. <laughs> You basically you need to hire a PA that will stop Georgie's uh, emails from reaching you because uh, <laughs> we're very persistent. We, we, went, never let you we went through taxes directly. It's not email anymore. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. That's the connection. No, it's great to, to have you here. And um, in preparation for this episode, and I do encourage listeners, uh, do go and check out the last couple of episodes, particularly the last one, because um, at the end of the last episode, David said. Um, who knows what's going to happen in 2023? Maybe GT3 World Challenge. Who knows? I know, but dot, 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 who knows? I'm quoting you. You, were le you left us on a cliffhanger in one of our final episodes of 2022. So why don't we kick off there? Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do and what does 2023 hold for you? Yeah, of course. Now I can. So <laughs> basically, it was GT3 World, GT3 World Challenge, Europe, Endurance Cup. Uh, but that's one of the news, to be honest. Uh, it will be with an Aston Martin team. And I will, I'm finalizing stuff now. So I will have a couple of tests and I will get on with Monza directly. Uh, then there are opportunities for our race in 24 hour series, but it's to be confirmed. Could have been. Uh, 24-hour uh, Barcelona at the end of the year, but uh, as a main important stuff, uh, I will do British GT this year with an English team, and this is the year where British GT has been the most competitive ever. So I'm very excited about that uh, with a GT3 McLaren, and uh, I will have also the management of the engin engineering department of the British GT and GT Cup cars. So it's that, that's the new. Wow. I mean, so we were just in the virtual green room and I came in, Georgie and Davide were talking uh, about how busy Davide is. And now I understand why. Uh, that's a lot. That's, uh, and, and <laughs> that's a lot. And, <laughs> why don't we pick and it's been those? in two weeks in December, uh, all these. So. <laughs> well, congratulations, first of all. Thank um, you. It's always great to see people growing and succeeding. It's really fantastic. So many different cars there. I mean, how do you, first of all, how do you engineer across a variety of different marks, different series? Um, how do you manage that? Do you have different compartments in your brain or is it, are there lots of similarities? Uh, well, it's, it's still a GT car. So as soon as you are in the same class, uh, there are of course differences between brands and between uh, uh, GT4, GT3, GTE, but it's a GT car, as I said, so you can actually expect a similar behavior overall. Uh, compartments in my end helps because, you know, you work with the McLaren, you know, these are the weaknesses, these are the strengths. So you you know what to do. Then you always wish for an Aston Martin is a front engine car. 
So it's completely different balance, simply different concept, a different way to use tires. Sometimes different tire brands as well, because you can do Michelin, you can do Pirelli, and who everybody knows the difference, I think, between different brands is everything about the tires at the end. And then you maybe get a test in GT4. It is crazy simpler than the other two, but still a GT car. So you have less to do in that case, but you can stick with your procedures, just forgetting that you don't have maybe too many TC and ABS settings to think about it. Regulation with the cars are much easier and less. So it's more driving coaching and driver focus in that case. But yeah, definitely in my position, what I help me is dividing everything in compartments, even personal life sometimes, because if you are busy and you have 11 months out of 12 with races and tests, if you want to have a life out of that, you need to divide things. Otherwise, it's just impossible to manage everything properly, you know. Well, I mean, good luck. And maybe, you know, you need to write a book or something about how to be <laughs> 200% uh, efficient and productive. Uh, and I definitely yeah. read it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, maybe maybe in the future, if we've got time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need 13 months. Uh, to, to yeah, exactly. It. Yeah, it would be good. 14, one for holiday. Otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you know what? Actually, why don't we start there? Like the mental health side. Like, um, you, you seem like a, a guy that's, um, you know, happy, right? But you're leading uh, a busy life. And maybe on the surface, uh, we're, all, we're all projecting how happy we are. But how do you keep your energy levels uh, up uh, in spite of this schedule? Yeah, I mean, as I said a couple of podcasts ago, uh, this is the job I always wanted to do. So for me, it's not a job. I love it, simply. And that's helped a lot in terms of uh, mental health and keep the stress down. I'm not saying it's not easy or that basically is everything fine every day, every time you are always happy. It's not like that. It's another job, any other people. But uh, doing a job you love, as you know, is, is a start. And then if you are able to have a mental strength and manage your things between jobs, uh, personal life, holidays, and whatever it is, family, in a proper way, like for example, it's helping me a lot, uh, dividing everything in compartments. So when I, when I'm home, I don't have to work. I'm not working. It's just home time. So I spend with my girlfriend, I spend with my family, and that's it. With my cat, and that's it. Uh, when I'm working, I'm working. So my phone is basically 90% off. I don't answer texts until the night. It's just about uh, full focus on the car, full focus on the race, and putting everything together. But then. As I said, you can become and you do the same. So it's not it's not being difficult to be honest, but you need to be very organized, very a good strength in your head, and divide everything for me from my side. It's working for me at least. Then every people is different. Yeah, well, it's definitely working uh, at least uh, from my perspective. Um, why don't we? And, and and it's great that you love your job. And I hope uh, listening at home, I hope you're in a similar position or have a path to getting to that position where you love Mondays uh, or Sundays, depending on what your profession is. <laughs> so t tell us a bit about um, the British GT3 series. So um, I am definitely the weaker of the two when it comes to uh, GT racing compared to our co-host Dens, who unfortunately isn't here today. But a quick Google suggests that the McLaren car is the 720S. Is that right? And, and what does that car yeah. look and feel like? Um, describe yeah. that vividly to our listeners. 
That's correct. Um, British GT, as I said, this year is the most competitive year since it exists. We have a lot of drivers, a lot of good teams uh, coming to do the race. Uh, it's, it's my full season, my first full season, because I did some races, like extra races, uh, but this year is full committed for that. So that's why I'm excited, because it's a national championship, to be honest, but it's one, it's the oldest of SRO. So it's the first one that actually SRO managed to build up so there is a kind of a story winning the british gt is like winning a european championship for the level for the competition for the story for everything um the mclaren is a good car to be honest uh, it's not a very difficult car to run that's that's a point in terms of uh, getting no stress or less stress and it's a very particular um schedule because a british GT weekend is not the same every every time you can get races when you have uh, one hour race, two drivers, and two races per weekend. And then you got a three hour race like uh, the Portima one of this year or the Silverstone 500. That is historical. And then you got a normal race of British GT weekend. It is just two, two hours. So it's, it's a good start for drivers that want to go higher level. At the same time, you got the competition you can expect from a higher level sometime. And you can practice both sprint races and kind of endurance because you start to do three, three hour races. I know it's not exactly the same like doing LMS, for example, or WEC, because you got as a minimum four, four hour races for LMS and six hour races for WEC, but it's a start and it's still a national level, to be honest. So at the end of the story, you got a very good competition, but you're still doing a national championship. So you can have young drivers that want to develop themselves and go in other places, you know. Fantastic. And you mentioned drivers. You, you did just talk about driver coaching when you were talking about one of the tasks that you have to do. I'm really intrigued by that. And we've had other guests on in similar positions. We had one of the engineers from, uh, in fact, lead engineer from Brian Herter Autosport saying driver coaching was one of the most fundamental parts of his job. Um, what does that look like? What, what do you think is success when it comes to driver coaching? Yeah, the best thing is having a pro driver helping you because you can see things from an engineering perspective but a pro driver is in the car is experienced in driving the car and sometimes he's a factory driver of that brands as well so know the car much better than an engineer in terms of uh, um, driving so the combination between a race engineer and a driver coach together is helpful first then uh, it's about uh, ram plans and i'm not telling too much about this because it's kind of secret, <laughs> uh, but uh, you need to sort out RAM plans that put the arm in a position where it has something to analyze with the pro that is useful. Okay. I don't know if it's clear what I'm saying. Yeah. No, we get it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Go on. So they have to have a clear plan of how they're going to use the session. Yes, exactly. And you need to use the time you've got with both drivers in a proper way in order to get the information, the data from the car and actually have a session of driver analysis for both of them. Sometimes there is something also the pro can learn from maybe you know, the sister car with another pro that is slightly faster or do the same lap times, same performance, but get into certain corners differently so you can extract performance between two pro as well and that's driver coaching so it's about uh, the use of inputs uh, like steering wheel uh, braking uh, throttle and speed carrying to a corner in a certain way for that particular corner or circuit 
Okay, so I mean that that's that's really fascinating to me because I think in my personal life or my professional life, I should say, a lot of my job is about leading and managing people. Uh, and when I watch sport, it's easy to forget. Oh yeah, uh, actually, it's a team, uh, and you have certain people that have to perform in a certain way, and we all have to work together, um, you know, in sync for us to succeed. Um, yeah. So uh, let's let's imagine. So we're going to play a little bit of a game here. Um, <laughs> And let's see how much you want to say your career. You might end up, you know, in Formula One. Uh, who knows? Uh, let's say we pick a few drivers from Formula One. And uh, let, uh, what driver coaching might you give them? And I know that we're talking in abstract here. We're not talking in a specific session. Um, but let's have a go. So what about um, a rookie entering the C's, uh, series? So Oscar Piastri, let's take him, for example. He's running the, Al uh, not the Alpine, the McLaren. He left Alpine. Uh, he has yeah. had a year out from competitive racing, but a, a huge pedigree. What's the sort of thing in that situation where you've got someone joining a series for the first time, but clearly a lot of expectation, pressure on their shoulders. What sort of thing would you be saying to an Oscar Piastri come this season? Well, first, uh, you need to have an experienced driver beside you. And Norris in the McLaren, I think is good, but he's not at that level of experience yet. Uh, so for sure, it will be difficult difficult for him to have kind of reference, even if his Norris is very good, and I like him a lot. Uh, in terms of coaching, Formula One is difficult, is different because they should be already at a certain level. So of course, they can learn how to drive a car around a circuit or a corner in a better way because you can always improve. Even Lamilton can, can improve. Uh, but it's more based on management of the car during a race what i mean uh, have you ever seen a steering wheel for a formula one like how many buttons they've got <laughs> okay yeah exactly they, they yeah. need to know exactly what to do in every button and what button touch if an engineer asking for certain maps or some for specifications certain settings so at the beginning of the first year it's more uh you know warm up here in terms of that's a formula one it's much more complicated i can drive it because i've got talent I'm Oscar Piastri, you know, uh, but it's not about that only. It's much more than that. You need to work with much more people around the car than you, you used to. Because, for example, for a car, a trackside team, Formula One can have 100 people. When you come from Formula Two, you get 10 people. So it, it's a different approach. It's not about driving and that's it, I think. It's more about uh, understanding and learn very quickly because you won't have five years to learn this. You have one. Uh, about how a Formula One driver needs to behave and needs to drive and needs to be part of the team. It's much more a teamwork than what it was maybe in Formula Two. You know what I mean? Yeah. So my suggestion for him will be more based on what Norris is doing, for sure, but not just about driving, about everything. And I, and I know you talked about an experienced driver. While he's not his teammate, Mark Weber, I think, is part of the management uh, of Oscar Piastri yeah. and, and does accompany him to the races. So there's something there about that experience, absolutely. Yeah, it may be kind of a driver coach in that sense. He's much more experienced in that sense. Exactly. So, so let me just pick one more example. And um, I'm going to give a disclaimer now that clearly I don't know Max Verstappen very well, but I'm going to take the media perception uh, based on his race audio or race radio. So let's think we've got a driver that is now double reigning world champion uh, in a car that's 
pretty strong. Um, but actually, uh, when things go wrong, he can tend to fly off uh, the handle, as we'd say in England. He can tend to lose his cool um, every now and then. So imagine you're coaching a driver. It could be in any series or it could just be Max. When you obviously want him to win the race, the pressure's on. But equally, you know that you have to tread carefully in the way that you communicate uh, news during the race. How would how do you approach that uh, as an engineer? Yeah, I think as an engineer, he's a difficult driver. He's fast. He's definitely fast. And now every fan of Verstappen will hate me. But I don't think he's the best in the grid at the moment at all. I think he will never be. Because he's lacking the part of being a serious driver for me. He is very fast. He's very committed. He has for sure talent, but the way he manages the situations is one of the worst uh, I ever seen, to be honest. Because sometimes it looks like there is no respect in what he's doing. He is the best. He needs to be the best in every single minute and competition. And I get that because it's a very high level profile uh, championship in motorsport. And so it's all about winning. And I get that. I agree with him in that. But uh, you need to keep in mind there are people behind you that actually are there working 12, 15, 20 hours for you and deserve a bit more of respect in certain situations if something goes wrong because they're still human and the variables in motorsport are so many that you can't really predict everything. So, I mean, it happens. Everybody makes mistakes. He makes mistakes as well, but the the way he looks, he can and the other can't. You know what I mean? It's just about the way he manage other people behind him, beside him or behind him is not right from my side point of view. And I don't know him, I don't know his team, so maybe I could be completely wrong. But for what he showed in the last seven years, to be honest, it's just a very fast driver that is just a driver, no more than that. He's not part of the team, he's not a real team member. And that's hurtful when you are double world champion because you should learn that you are double world champion because you are good. You have the car, but you also have a very good amount of people, skilled people, that helped you in everything. So it should be a bit more worth, you know, in that sense. Wow. Uh, if I had a driver like that, uh, managing a driver like that is difficult because when something is going wrong, mm. it will be angry at you because you are the first point of contact uh, and you can't actually say anything to him live. But for sure, over season, I would find a way to have a relationship with him at least and try to calm it down in certain situation because it needs to be part of a team from my side. Absolutely. Well, look, uh, no one could accuse you of shying away from uh, your opinion. So appreciate appreciate that. And, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think I can see where you're coming at. Um, the challenge uh, I, the challenge I see in motorsport in general is that the way to get into motorsport as a driver is often very individual. That's my perception. So, you know, yeah. as a child, if you're karting or on a dirt track, you need to just beat everyone. Um, but then at the very highest level, um, you know, we saw with Schumacher, we, we see with Vettel and, and, and Hamilton, you need to be able to lead a team uh, as well. Uh, and so those kind of individual versus team dynamics don't always work well for everyone. But that's that's a really interesting yeah. Uh, perception. Yeah, if you want to be a champion, at least. Otherwise, you are a good driver. Yeah. That's not the same. 
You know, you can win 11 championship and still not be a champion for me if you don't do everything right. Yeah, well, um, and and maybe maybe um, you know if we had drive to survive uh, going back through the years, we would see why certain drivers didn't quite fulfill their potential. Who knows? Uh, you can't accuse uh, Verstappen of not fulfilling his potential in the sense that at least on paper he has two world championships and he must be the favourite for this season uh, as well. So, you know, he'll very quickly be up there with the three-time champions, I'm sure. Yeah, it's probable. I mean, the Red Bull looks very fast as well. I don't think so far we actually saw the proper Red Bull. They don't need at the moment to show all the potential they've got, I think. So <laughs> that's the thing. It would be easy for him if nothing happened to, to win another one, for sure. <laughs> Well, so while we're on the subject, because I've I've sneakily switched to Formula One, and we'll go back to GT and we'll in a bit. But you, you obviously have a history with Williams, um, being an engineer in their esports division. Um, you're a busy guy. I don't know if I heard you say that in your introduction. Is that uh, something that is on the back burner this season, or will you still be involved? Yeah, still for for the year, yes. Then we need to discuss for 2024. But for the year, it's still uh, on. Fantastic. Same position, nothing changed. <laughs> And, and uh, what does that involve? What um, what races will you be doing or what series will you be doing with, with them? Uh, at the moment, I'm supporting the 24-hour series on iRacing. It is just on today for the 12-hour Barcelona. Uh, yeah, Barcelona, yeah, sorry. And that's the last of the championship. We are P1, so this is double point. Uh, I'm not doing the in-race support uh, since I'm here, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> uh, but just because it was too much uh, as well to to get there. I've got other engineers uh, there, and I'm always direct line with them. So if everything needs to be done or is they have questions, strategy change and they are a bit confused about that i'm always mm. supervising everything in that sense but i'm not in the race straight away this time as i said i can't do everything it's just too much <laughs> no. uh, we'll see we'll see how it's going and then i was the engineer for the vcu um esport board championship it just finished last week so we'll finish before overall with a touring car that was very more about again driver coaching and managing the situation because it was very short racing a touring car and there was air factor to the simulator fix the setup so it's just important for the team but not a big race and then coming on in the next month we need to discuss what are the championship i'm following because normally i'm doing uh, i racing special events and big championship like it was Le Mans virtual series so i think it will be more about special events for the rest of the year and then Le Mans virtual series again end of the year and we'll see in 2024 what's going on then well, I mean, uh, you, as we've established, you're a busy guy and you're keeping that Williams relationship going, at least in this year. Um, let's let's give AMG Dens uh, some coaching, right? Because he and my father... It. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, I, I, I couldn't possibly agree or disagree with you uh, there, but um, they raced in Daytona. Uh, they did Bathurst, um, him and Mike Farler, his, his colleague. Um, we spoke to Kyle Compton, who I was mentioning uh, before, who's the lead engineer at Brian Herter Autosport um, in one of the US series, uh, the Michelin Pilot Challenge. Um, and he said that in those endurance races, often what they try to do is survive the first 18 hours uh, and then yeah, and then you're in the race. Is that yeah, something that just... kind of resonates with you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's always 50-50, you know. I'm fair enough sometimes because, yeah, you need to survive first because finishing a 24-hour race, for example, it's already a, I mean, an achievement. 
because you need to have a very reliable car, no crash into any other. If you crash with someone else, have the possibility to repair the crash and go back. So finishing an endurance race, a long endurance race, is always an achievement. Of course, everybody wants to finish first. <laughs> the endurance race as well. So I, I agree with surviving at the beginning because it's a, so, such a long race that if you don't survive at the beginning when there is a bit of traffic, uh, a lot of uh, uh, fastest car maybe overlapping you or you overlap uh, slowest car, depending on the category you are in, uh, definitely you need to survive because it's an easy crash, otherwise you finish there. But if you want to win, you need to do a bit more. You need to have a bit of luck, first of all, and have a very good strategy. To, to get out from a bad position if you started at the back or to keep your position if you if you start in the front, you know. So it's not it's not easy. It's not just about surviving for me. It starts with surviving, but if you want more, you need to have everything on the right places in the right moment. In 24 hour races is it's a lot. It can't happen sometimes, simply. No, and and uh yeah that that definitely resonates. Surviving is the minimum and then you need to push on yeah. from there the, the the thing that i so i watch this sometimes i watch dens and mike going around the thing that strikes me is the amount of concentration that you need to have so they've had a few unfortunate incidents often with drivers that are a lap down or several laps behind or in a different class how you know particularly in that sort of gt space where you've got the lmps running around perhaps as well in those endurance scenarios what um what advice um do you have when you're managing cars at different speeds or in a, in a, in a race environment with cars at different speeds? Yeah, that's actually a good question because sometimes in sim racing, the fastest car needs to be aware of the slowest. And this is not something that happens in the real world. It's actually the opposite. Because if you are the slowest, you are the one to be careful of who is faster. And for me, it just makes sense. So I don't understand why in sim racing is different, to be honest. But yeah, the thing is, uh, if you are in a GT car, you overlap from an LMP2, for example, you want to be as much as possible easy to understand from the other car. So you don't go changing trajectory immediately. You do a line that is comfortable for them to overlap you in safe without uh, being unpredictable. Because if you want to make space and you are unpredictable, so you change line immediately, for example, you change direction immediately, the driver in LMP2 is coming much faster than you, you couldn't have the time to understand you are moving and actually try to go where you are going. So you crash. So the idea is be predictable, first of all, and be aware that if there is an LMP2 coming, as soon as you see his lights, for example, if it's night, in your mirrors, uh, it will be very quick when they come here. You don't have too much time to think about, okay, it's coming. Maybe next corner I'll do this because it will be already there. They are very fast compared with HTV. So it's about mental set and be predictable. Okay. Well, I, I think, I don't know if you can compare the two because, you know, you've you've uh, engineered for a sim world and, and the kind of real world. Do you think that in sim racing, the behavior is just naturally worse because the cost of, you know, collisions, the cost of bad behavior is lower. Um, yeah, it can be that. can be that. But it can be also the drivers that normally drive in sim racing are not experienced. So yeah, a lot of team, a lot of drivers do stuff. They think they, they are right, but not because they're stupid, just because they don't know. They're not, it's not their job. And maybe you do something you think is 100% right and it's the worst way to do that particular thing. So, I mean, 
is the level of experience the drivers have got in sim races is getting better and better, but it's not real motorsport anyway, in that sense. It's getting better only. So of course it's different. There is no damage, no cost. Uh, sometimes you don't retire the car, but it's also true that you can retire the car. Just imagine you do 12 hour Sebring, for example, you are leading your class uh, until uh, the end of 11th hour, and then some LMP2 comes uh, and crash into it because you don't give space or you are unpredictable. And maybe you can't repair the car because it's too damaged and it's six seconds lower per lap because it happens in sim racing sometimes. You just retire the car, you are winning after 11 hours. So the effort you're putting into is a lot and you vanify everything for an hour. So yeah, you can compare it. The difference is experience for sure. Damage cost is much less, but it costs eight hours of preparation and 12 hours of, of racing, maybe leading for what? Just for being unpredictable, maybe. So well, um, it's not completely different from my opinion. It's 90% different, let's say. Okay. The fundamentals are the same, right? Yes. Yeah. It's common sense, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to crash. It's virtual or real. You want to win. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, uh, we're going to clip this part of the podcast and send it uh, directly to Dems and, and Mike ahead of their next race. Uh, they just released, I think, some, a livery. <laughs> Uh, a stripping the dipping livery uh, for their upcoming Le Mans challenge. I think they're they're racing a Lamborghini. So guys, please do check out Denz's channel. Uh, he did a livery reveal. It looks fantastic. Do give him all the support in the world. Um, on on the subject of uh, esports, and I, I, I appreciate you may not be able to say very much. Um, the Williams team did come in for some criticism in Daytona um, about a month or so ago. Um, to do with qualifying, uh, to do with, I think, the second car when it went a lap down. Um, do you think that as esports becomes even higher profile, that the level of competition and comp competitiveness will go up? Um, do you think, like, what, what, what do you put that sort of controversy around? Was it teams that lost uh, having sour grapes or, you know, how, how did that feel to you? How involved were you? I can't say too much, as you imagined. Yeah. The only thing I can say about this is they were people that probably do the same if they were in our position and they just didn't. And the morning after, everybody has like a consciousness about sporting regulation and stuff. So <laughs> I'm not saying we were right to do it. But if rules doesn't have a way to punish us, it means it's allowed. And that's not different from real motorsport. I mean, uh, we can have a list of examples of uh, gray area regulation that people used. I get it's maybe not the best sport behavior, but I don't see a real problem in that, to be honest. As I didn't see a problem in having the double-decker diffuser with the Brown in 2009. They were clever to use the gray area. It wasn't sportive. It was, it was bad Formula One, but they won a championship and it's fair enough. That's the only thing I can say to you about this. No more than oh, that. I appreciate that. Um, good. And yeah, we don't want you to lose your job. You know, then we would just be you. a guy. Uh, well, you, know, <laughs> you know, you'll be less busy. You know, maybe you can come on more. But no, um, no. <laughs> uh, there's a kind of, um, you know, the famous quote from Ayrton Senna about if you no longer go for a gap, um, are you a racing driver? And maybe he said that in the context of being like more naughty than, than you're describing. But yeah, certainly if there's a gray area, motorsport has historically driven innovation through those gray areas. Um, 
sporting and technical. So, um, yeah, well, you know, uh, thanks for thanks for answering the question, at least. I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> I try. I, mean, I want to have everybody happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, good. I appreciate it. Good. Um, so let's let's talk about another compartment in your brain, which is the uh, GT3 World Challenge. Uh, and you mentioned that you are with the Aston Martin team uh, this year. Yep. Can you talk a little bit about that series uh, and then a little bit about the car? Like, what is the challenge facing you? Uh, right. The car, I know the car very well because it's basically, I mean, I used the Aston GTE last year in one uh, LMS and WEC. I did the Asia Le Mans last year with the GT3. It will be exactly the same car, it's just a different team. And the uh, car is fast. If you get it right, it's a very good car. And it's not easy as the McLaren to put it together. It's a bit difficult in a certain way. But as soon as you got experience as with any other car, you know weaknesses, you know strengths, and you can manage it very quickly if you have issue. Uh, it's just a bit more complicated, but it's it's a racing car, so it doesn't meant to be easy, to be honest. Uh, everybody can drive that, of course, but you need to how to drive it if you want to go fast. And that's for everything at the end. And in terms of the championship, uh, it's my first year doing this championship. I wanted to do GT World Challenge since since I started with the GT cars, to be honest. Even before I wanted to do WEC and LMS, and I never had the chance to do it. So having the chance to do the Endurance Cup is, is exciting for me. And uh, there are a couple of things that are still not completely confirmed. Uh, hopefully next week or soon it will be. Uh, but uh, it, it's clearly an endurance, endurance championship. The level is very high. You've got names like uh, Valentino Rossi, for example. I'm super excited to be doing St. Paddock with him, to be honest. Uh, we may speak Italian together sometimes. Who knows? <laughs> and um, for the rest, uh, I want to do 24-hour spa. I think it's the best and the most famous GT3 races. So after I've done Le Mans last year, it's good to have an opportunity to do a 24 hours pass as well. And uh, I'm looking forward to the 1,000 kilometers of Poricard, because Poricard is not my favorite track. It's my favorite place for garage, box garages. That's perfect, because it's the only place in Europe, at least, that you get a private office closed from the car up, like alpha floor up from the cars. So the engineering department is always separated from the car. You don't smell uh, petrol all the time. It's very good in that sense. So it's my favorite place as a building. It's not my favorite track in the world, but the competition is good. And the 1,000 kilometers per Ricardo is always a very, competitive, a very competitive race. It could be a kind of preparation of spa as well. Happy to go race in Italy for Monza. Happy about that. It's difficult series. It's 40, 40 cars in the grid. It's completely different than what I've done so far to be honest and i look forward to it it sounds like you're extremely enthusiastic and and you'll be ticking off lots of uh i don't know dreams or bucket lifts uh races um you talked about something that that fascinated me that the boxes or the the sort of offices and spaces for engineers differ between the tracks and you, you mentioned paul ricard being your favorite which uh track is your least favorite without without necessarily offending any circuit owners uh, strangely spa because i love the circuit i think is one of the best circuit in europe for the level of competition is so unpredictable weather is 
bad and can be bad an hour and very cool the other hour and you need to change everything accordingly you can have a six hour race with 12 red flags 12 safety cars i'm just saying numbers uh, so in terms of racetrack spa at all in the world is my circuit but the box are pretty bad they're old short small you can't really fit everything so you don't have the space you normally work with uh, but if I have to say something, it's not different in any different in any other UK um, racetrack apart from Silverstone because they're old. They, they have no space at all in the track and outside the track. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the thing. Uh, spa, spa is the worst for me in terms of boxing. Fair enough. And I mean, maybe you know, not to get too mathematical about this, the classic circuits probably don't have to work as hard to get the girls in the sense that no, exactly. Um, you know. The series is never going to say no. Sorry, Spa, um, your boxes are too small, so we will not be. We are not coming. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to happen. And uh, I mean, Spa is one of the circuit when you pay as an organizer to go there. It's not the circuit paying you. Yeah, <laughs> okay, right. so I mean, it's fair enough. They want to be like this, and it's part of the experience. To be honest, I don't like it because you are working, so you want to be a, as much as comfortable as possible. But it's part of the experience. You are going in an historic racetrack it won't be good to have the best box in the world super technologic with uh, 100 meter square space and stuff like mm. that you know it would be different it, it won't be spy anymore yeah well we don't want them to cut down the the trees you know so we we will let them uh, and and yeah the infield is and in uh, hilly having been there a couple of times so yeah they have a logistical challenge but uh, you know over time yeah. i'm sure it will improve uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the best track in the world for me. I mean, no offense yeah. for all the other circuits, but I love it. I've got uh, a keychain in my car keys. I've got a uh, carbon fiber uh, shape spa on the wall in my office. So yeah. <laughs> it's pretty clear I like spa. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to ask you about the experience of being at a track during an endurance race. But before we do that, um, and this might be a very niche question. So apologies to the, the, if you're at home and you're like, what the hell is this about? So I started watching uh, motorsport, mainly Formula One, but also IndyCar in the 90s. And Spa had a different um, bus stop chicane. I think it's changed yep. a few times. Um, yep. You know, if you remember those, you probably only worked on the latest version. But do you have any sense of whether that is the best? That's the optimum bus stop. That's such a niche question, but I'm sure you'll get uh, it. Do you, yeah, yeah, what do you think? I, it's difficult to answer because I never saw the, the old version. Live. Okay. I had in my mind how it was. Uh, I know that years and years ago, it was an actual bus stop. There was the place when the bus was stopping there. <laughs> so that's the name of the, the chicane. But to be honest, I, I don't have an answer for this. Okay. Uh, next so, time, yeah, episode four. Next time, I'll, I'll study. <laughs> please, please. Yeah. Unnecessary study in your 14 month year. Exactly. Yeah. Um, brilliant. So how about we, we reverse back? And so you're you're going to be doing sort of 24-hour races, 12-hour races, 6-hour races. In those longer endurance races, as the engineer, particularly if you're in the lead, do you sleep or are you just trying to stay awake for the whole time? How does it work? No. You are the only one don't sleep at all if you are the race engineer. You stay awake 40 hours to do a 24-hour race. Oh, God. Straight. Uh, it's hours. fine. It's fine to be honest, because you've got so many, so much to do, and so much adrenaline in your in your core, in your in your body. That that's that's okay. Problem is when you finish your 40th hour, 
and you try to sit down somewhere comfortable, mm-hmm. just dead for 24 hours straight again. <laughs> and then when the, the adrenaline effect is finished, you know. <laughs> And then you go to sleep. Although you probably got to travel. Now now you're in the real... Uh, it, it depends. It depends. Yeah. Normally, it depends from the team. If it's a good team, uh, you got a day off and then you travel. If yeah. it's a team that wants maybe save some money or have no budget, because it can happen also as well, you may fly the morning after. And that's, yeah. <laughs> that's not the idea sometimes, but you do it. It's, it's not your choice. So, so fine. I'm, I'm sensing a strong hint here, Davide, uh, that those <laughs> teams that want your services should pay for that extra night in a hotel. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm fine with everything, to be honest. No, no, sorry, I'm yeah, getting I'm, used to it. I'm but yeah, it, it's, it's, more, it's, it's better. It's better. <laughs> of course, if someone pays you a night more and give you a nice hotel and a nice flight to come back, of course, I can't say no. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fine. Good. Yeah. Like, uh, I just, like, please distance yourself from my comments. Uh, they will pay for you. <laughs> Um, okay, so no, you don't sleep. How about this then? So um, we heard from, I mentioned this Carl Compton sort of suggestion that like the last six hours is where the race really comes together. Um, so if your brain, if you've been awake for, you know, 30 hours, what do you put in place to avoid having to use or rely solely on your judgment in those last few hours when you've not been asleep for you know a few sunrises how do you how do you manage that as an engineer uh, i mean that's different from person and person because you, everybody works in a different way for me uh, it's not the worst part of the race to be honest for me the worst part is like 2 a.m in the morning where you actually used to sleep but then you call you can't so you go on and uh, when you arrive at the last six hours it's fine you're still awake uh, you've got uh, past the worst period in the night uh, for me is helping a lot being focused on the data station focus on the strategy uh, speak with the drivers not too much but sometimes to keep both of us awake and um, eating a good food and proper food, to be honest, in the proper morning during the night. So you want something that keeps you awake. So proteins and stuff that is filling you with energy without getting you sleepy, you know? So you don't you don't eat a pasta 1 a.m. in the morning because you will go straight to bed after. Uh, <laughs> so try to do kind of stuff like that. Coffee, not too much coffee because you get nervous. And if you get nervous, then you're stressed. If you're stressed, you can make mistakes. It's a balance between everything, but when you get into the six, last six hours, for me, the worst is done already, you know? So I'm much more focused than during the night, at the beginning of the night, night, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., something like that. That makes sense. Yeah, those last six hours is it's when the race, yeah, it becomes more demanding, more interesting, and yeah, yeah. Your, your body is naturally waking up in your circadian rhythms anyway. That's really interesting. Um, so let's play an impromptu game then, which is uh, Davide's kitchen. Yeah, how do you say kitchen in Italian? Is it cucina or something? Cucina, 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 cucina. Right, the cucina de Davide. Right, we're gonna. Um, so let's let's go through these forty hours. Right, I'm fascinated by this. So coffee, but not too much coffee. Right. So I my yeah. personal strategy is I can't have coffee after a certain time in the afternoon, or I will struggle to sleep. So, so yeah. what is too much coffee? Or what is the, what's on the limit of coffee here for you? Yeah, let's say that a coffee, a proper coffee is a single shot of espresso and all the rest yes. is try to imitate. You know? <laughs> proper um, coffee, exactly. <laughs> it depends. It depends. It's not, it, there is no schedule for that, to be honest. Uh, you get to a certain point, you, you need one. 
you think about when I had the last one, and my idea if it's been like four hours ago, yeah, I'll get another one. If it's been an hour and a half, two hours, I try to resist and maybe I drink water or something else, so try to have something in the data station I can use with my hands, like anti stress or something, just to keep awake and stuff like that in the meantime. And then when you get another four hours, you get another coffee. Okay, it's not, it's not precise, it depends. It depends. You are days you are more tired because maybe you had a very difficult week with the car and you always went to bed late, so you are tired more than when everything is smooth and you're always fine. Easy finish, early finish, and then you go to bed, try to sleep as much as possible before the race. Mm. And then that, that's it. Uh, sometimes helped, I mean, help me at least, uh, half an hour. When the car is in the grid, for example, you may have an hour or an hour and a half of nothing because it's, it's, it's grid walk, is everything. What helps me when I got that chance is going to the track, uh, find a quiet place uh, and have half an hour sleep. That's help a lot to mm. me. Uh, to, to start properly the race and go on with that one. But sometimes you can't do it. Depends what happened. No, that makes sense. Okay, so uh, we've got the drinks confirmed, right? Coffee, but not too yes, much coffee. coffee but not coffee. too much coffee. Yeah, exactly. Uh, possibly water. Italian coffee. Italian, oh, well, <laughs> I think we have Lavazza at home. So, you know, I'm just repping that Italian coffee. Absolutely. Um, Very good. So, so uh, Valtteri Bottas is known for his porridge uh, in the yeah. for breakfast. Um, what is solid breakfast when you know you're not going to go back to sleep for 40 hours? What is it that David yeah. Duras is having for breakfast? Uh, lately, an English breakfast. Nice. But lately, because <laughs> I didn't like it before. When I went to the UK, I was the only one, only person in the UK not eating English breakfast, probably. <laughs> but I didn't like it. Then I tried once, and I actually said, okay, yeah, it's not so bad. Uh, I can have it. And then sometimes when you need to be awake, a uh, good breakfast with full of protein, eggs, and stuff like that, it's, it's helping. But once, two things can't miss in my breakfast. It doesn't matter if it's for racing or for anything. It's an orange juice and a um, uh, cappuccino or single shot of espresso, depends. Nice. Day. That's yeah. compulsory. <laughs> okay, I'm, and I'm told that Italians are quite strict. Maybe this is a stereotype about not having cappuccino after a certain time. It's like that is yeah, a, after 10 a.m. It's not exactly. it's not time for cappuccino. I mean, unacceptable. It's between yeah. 6 a.m. and 10 a.m. <laughs> Afterwards, it's not breakfast anymore. So no cappuccino. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so for our American listeners, you may have heard of an English breakfast, but just to confirm, um, it's very meat heavy compared to what I know a lot of you know i lived in brazil for a couple of years and they were just shocked why would you eat sausages or bacon uh you know in the morning in the morning um yeah, yeah, yeah it was eggs. the same question i've got when i moved yeah. here to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean it's a logical question uh and yeah you have eggs you have beans i don't i personally don't like baked beans but lots of people do uh and then it gets more peculiar as you get more english so you can have something called uh blood pudding which is like a black sort of sausage that I won't even describe because it makes me feel a bit ugh. But, you know, you can have mushrooms, which I like. Um, it goes on and on. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm glad you're a fan of the English breakfast. Okay, so then you said, look, it's 2 a.m., crucial, crucial moment. Do not have your pasta. Don't have your carbs. So what is that source of protein that, that's getting you through that quiet night? It's mainly snacks. Sweet snacks that helps or uh, kind of uh, energy protein, bars, uh, cereal, something like that. It's Very not good. a proper meal, but every one or two hours, you want a snack. 
about that. See, everything you have to leave no stone unturned to be successful. You've got to get that get get the diet right. Very good. I I, I endorse. Yeah, I'm still this. getting fat anyway, so that is my <laughs> point. <in. laughs> well, you know, uh, you you'll. I'm sure that next time you're on, you'll have determined, found a new way to uh, exercise in between your your many jobs. Uh, it's another compartment in your in your brain. Uh, yeah, to be honest, I've just bought a bike, a mountain bike, so maybe okay. <laughs> maybe we can get some weight out of my body. <laughs> yeah, you can cycle from Spa to Nürburgring or something. That would be a very that would be long. Probably yeah. be dead <laughs> by the time. But anyway, <laughs> well, no, not not if you've had your cappuccino and your English breakfast. Then you'll be it's fair fine. enough. It's yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> okay, brilliant. So, um, thank you for giving us that behind the scenes scoop on what it's like uh, in the box. Uh, for a long endurance race, uh, particularly in Spa, I had the vivid, Im- vivid image in my head. So, so thank you for that. Um, so let's let's turn our attention a little bit towards Formula One. So this episode, you'll be listening to this, uh, I think, on the Saturday after the first race. So what a fantastic race! What a great, uh, what a surprising result, hey? Eh? Um, yeah, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, you, so what we've seen so far, we're recording this on Saturday lunchtime uh, of Bahrain. So we've seen practices one and two. I think practice three is probably going on as we speak. Um, I don't know how much time you've had to follow uh, Formula One, given how many jobs you've got. But uh, any observations about the 2023 season? Yeah, I, I didn't have too much time because I was testing in Barcelona when they actually start to do testing and winter testing and everything. I, I look at the cars when they present the libraries and I'm saying present the libraries because I'm pretty sure Half of the team didn't actually present the car. Uh, and that's fair enough, because you don't want to show things. I think some of the teams had different solution, interesting solution. Um, some ducts on the side parts of the Ferrari looks interesting for Iro, But it could be, you know, Ferrari is a bit uh, under the lights in, the, in this moment, under the spotlights. Everybody's going to look what they do because they should do much better than what actually doing at the moment. Uh, so I, it can be a good risk, because if they make it right, it could be a solution that maybe improve, or, I don't know, traction or whatever they need. Uh, but it could be also a risk doing, oh, we need to do something different, we need to try and then go the worst car ever. We'll see about that. Uh, for the rest, uh, think Mercedes goes got a good choice to remove uh, the idea of not having or almost not having uh, side pods. Uh, it's much better now, I think. I think Red Bull, it's the car to actually beat. And they didn't modify too much from last year, but why they should, to be honest. It was already fast and very performing like that. So they, of course, will improve something throughout the season. And I think they are the most favorite for the final victory. But uh, Formula One is a very long championship. You need to put in practice a lot of development, race by race. Uh, when you go Barcelona, you normally have a kit ready for that. Then you go Monza, Spa, a very low downforce. And we know Red Bull normally run a car a bit more downforce with the others because she can, they can, to be honest. So why not? They have got an efficiency from the underflow that is a great compared with, uh, with other cars. Uh, so it's not just about having the car ready and very good at the beginning of the season. It's just about working 
in the same way towards results race by race because it's 23 races just because they cancel china otherwise it would have been 24 and that's crazy uh, for a season of motorsport uh, so, so you can't really see now what's going on i think mercedes is not in a bad position i think red bull is the car to be beaten and i think ferrari can have chances of course they will be the three main uh, teams the three top teams but it will be interesting to see other stuff like uh, Oscar Piastri in the McLaren, for example, if Williams uh, made a car that actually improved the performance finally. Uh, they got two good drivers this year. I like Sergeant. He had very long runs in the winter testing with him. Uh, a lot of laps with no problems. So maybe the year, who knows, to come back a bit on the top. And for the rest, uh, I think Aston Martin is, looks, looks very like Red Bull last year, so they will be fast uh alpine don't not sure and alpha tauri the other brands are a bit more on the mid championship position so don't really know what they are putting together and why at the moment i didn't have the chance to follow more than that uh, that's a great roundup of the grid uh and i think the thing i like about formula one is in the race you're kind of watching a graph, you're watching um, trend lines, you know, cars can go at a certain pace with a certain degradation, they need to stop, you know, and so on. And, and, and you're watching them complete their race time or race distance in a certain time. And then yeah. I think zooming out, what's really fascinating now that we have the cost cap and now that we have this kind of wind tunnel regulation, which basically disadvantages the most successful teams and gives them less wind tunnel time, you're seeing, hopefully, another trend line, which is over the season, the cars with a greater amount of development time uh, are hopefully able to close up. Um, so it should be fascinating. And Aston Martin apparently look good. We're, you know, as we're recording, as we're speaking, uh, FP3 is going on and, and people, when they're listening to this, will have seen what happened in, in Bahrain. Um, a question for you. Do you have a crystal ball? Because last episode... Um, we were talking about Mattia Bonotto. Um, he was not going to be renewed at Ferrari. You talked about sort of the challenges he'd faced, his management style. Um, and really interestingly, um, there was a conversation about Fred Vasseur taking over, um, which, you know, given that was, I think, in November or, or early December when you um, had yeah. that uh, interview, um, you know, great knowledge. Did you know something or was it just... Uh, no, uh, it was just for me. It was common sense for me. Yeah, for the people yeah. that was kind of available for what you will know from the press, at least. Yeah. Uh, it was the only one that can actually accept the job. Yeah, it, it, I, I won't be in his position, to be honest. It's a tricky position at the moment. You may be the best and solve the situation, or it actually can put his face in something very bad and ruin his career. So it, it's you need to be, have courage to, to take that position in this moment. So we'll see. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And in a way, you, another really fun thing you said or interesting thing you said with Denz in the last episode is that Ferrari is more like a religion uh, than yeah. an organization. And I oft, often think back to Giancar uh, Giancarlo Fisichella, who um, I think he nearly won the Belgian Grand Prix. He would have won if he hadn't been slipstreamed into Le Com by um, Raikkonen. And that was in like a Force India many, many years ago. But then he chose to spend the last few races of the season at Ferrari, even though they were yeah. having trouble with their car when Massa had his uh, 
accident uh, and it meant that he couldn't drive because the spring hit his helmet. So it's almost like you have to accept if you go to Ferrari, it's going to be a big challenge, but that you, a bit like you're talking about your career, it's what you love. It's uh, it's your dream. So I don't know. Do you think do you think that's probably in the calculation of Vasseur? Like, well, at least I'll be able to say that I've led Ferrari in Formula One. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, why not? It's still one yeah. of the most historic team you got. They they are records in everything, so it's still a good position to be, even if it's not the Ferrari we knew like 20 years ago. Uh, I think it's a bit of a shame the last few years, uh, but. I don't know. I mean, for sure, he's is very close to Leclerc. So relationship with the drivers should be okay, at least this mm-hmm. time. Uh, for technical knowledge, he's a good engineer. Uh, he just have no experience at the moment how to run a top team because he never did in Formula 1. He's quite young into the environment. But it doesn't mean he's not able to. I mean, everybody been young and in a new position for the first time. There are people that go ahead and people that stop there in every job. So we'll yeah. see. Well, you know, Fred Vasser, interesting character. Um, I can't quite remember where he's from. I think he's French, right? Uh, uh, or Swiss, maybe, something, something like, like that. that. And yeah. the last uh, French-speaking team principal at Ferrari was Jean Todt, right? Jean Todt, yeah. So he was French. not to stereotype 60 million people, but... Who knows? But... <laughs> <laughs> he could have success. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a different team, let's say. It's not just about a person, you know, it's yeah, a team no, yeah. that makes and everything working. But different content, different year, different, different regulation, different cars. Yeah. Uh, you can't really compare, to be honest. But yeah, if you want to see the same kind of language spoken, yeah, you're there. <laughs> you <laughs> completely destroyed me. Yeah, I, I, uh, next time I'll, <laughs> I'll be much more fact fact based. Um, okay, I'm going to try and bring it back to your engineering language. Right. So uh, this is my segue. Under Jean Todd, of course, you had the lineup uh, of uh, Eddie Irvine and Michael Schumacher, uh, and Eddie Irvine has talked a lot about how much testing they did. Uh, because, of course, they started with that 1996 car with Schumacher that just looked like a bathtub. Um, and they yeah. just spent, you know, however many uh, however many weeks and months testing at the Ferrari test track, Mugello. Um, now we can't do that. Uh, so when I look at um, Red Bull, Red Bull are the Constructors' Championship. So by default, they have a, I think it's a 30% reduction in wind tunnel testing time. Yes. Everybody is limited to, I think, five days of testing throughout the entire year, uh, three of which we've already had. Um, Red Bull obviously broke the cost cap in 2021, so they have a further 10% reduction, which I think is 10 times 70%, so another 7% net. Do you think, even if Red Bull start the season with an advantage, that that is you know, 63% reduction uh, or total compared to other teams, do you think that that will play a material impact on their development through the season and we could see a closer race at the end? It could. It definitely could if the other team used the time, the extra time they've got well. But remember that aerodynamic-wise, they've got Adrenui. So <laughs> if there is a team that can afford to have less time, I think it's Red Bull. So I'm not super sure that will make a big difference. Maybe it's make a difference. Some people may come, come closer, but the difference to say, okay, Red Bull is fast now. We want to be in 10, 10, 10, 10 races. I don't think so. 
Okay, well, let's let's see. And um, George Russell. Let's speak in that basis. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> I mean, George, George Russell made the point that in the next, the first six races are spread over something like three months, um, and then at the end of the season, three months cover covers eleven races. So um, I'm not I'm not just having wishful thinking here for Mercedes, who clearly aren't quite on the pace yet. But um, you know, there is development time. They did cancel the Chinese Grand Prix, so. There is a month uh, where there will not be a factory shutdown because it is season. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah, exactly. Okay. And it's a good month because if I remember well, it's between uh, when they finish to race in the other part of the world and they come to Europe. So it's actually the first development they put into the car, seriously, if I remember well the calendar. Yeah, I think so. I think the sixth race is in May and I think it's in Imola. So yeah, yeah they'll be solidly back into the... Uh, you know, start of start of the European season. I can't quite remember where Baku is because the, the season yeah, seems to move I mean, around now. But you know, it's fair enough. I was looking at yeah. the calendar some times ago. It's just crazy. The lot. last part of the calendar is just going away and not coming back, basically, till December. Yeah. So yeah, I can't remember <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> so I mean, uh, bringing it back to you a bit, um, you know, there's a lot of traveling in, in Formula One and, and maybe you wouldn't be able to have that extra day in the hotel after the race. Uh, no, you can't definitely. Have it. <laughs> but um, is, is there an aspiration there on your side one day, perhaps, to engineer in Formula One? Well, uh, it depends. Uh, from career perspective, maybe one, two, three season, then it's too much, especially with this pace, uh, because still... Still, you're young, you know, you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter if you stay home or not. Okay, you want to stay home, but you want to also develop your career since you're young. When you start to have maybe a child or something, you won't spend much more time at home. So, I see Formula One, so something like it may be interesting to do just because they got factory roles. So, if you want to have less travel at a certain point, if you've got the experience, you've got everything done properly for the last 10, 15 years, you may move to a more factory-based role and enjoy a bit more home life. Something that if you are freelancing and do a race engineer, you can't. But, Makes sense. I mean, it's just yeah. thinking about me in 15 years' time, maybe. Mm. So I, I can't be sure because <laughs> I still love going track side for the moment. So, you yeah. know, you, we'll see. You, You'd have to really love that area of England that, you know, between Oxford, Milton Keynes and uh, Northampton, where all of the yeah. teams happen to be located. Yeah, um, yeah almost that would be, yeah. Is that... yeah, it I mean, yeah. Is, it's nice. I, I'm living here, basically. So ah, it's, there you are. Yeah, yeah, I'm living in Oxford. So Perfect. It's, it's not a bad area. The weather could have been better than this, <laughs> but it's still better than it was 10 years ago, I think, because we got summer now. Yeah, so it's, it's something. <laughs> I've got some bad news. If you if you if you want weather, I think living in the UK might not be the uh, the yeah, best exactly. option. But yeah. I know you know. That. I mean, <laughs> the good thing the good thing is I'm coming from northern Italy, so the winter is not completely different. So get used to it. If you come from Rome or Sicily, then yeah, you've got a problem for the weather for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah, and and for now you're trackside, so and and you're working a lot yeah. at night, so you know who knows. Yeah, um, and you can go do Asian series uh, in the winter, so you actually follow the summer. <laughs> ah, yeah. Well, uh, you <laughs> if know, you go to Dubai in January, it's 30 degrees. So. 
that seems like a pitch that you know if anyone out there would like to because uh, i know you're not busy enough davide uh occupy your decembers in asia you know i'm sure i'm sure we could find someone um there's 12 other gulf in december so maybe <laughs> just saying and just just a random question because we're, we're coming to the end of the time but um you're talking about weather and engineering what is the kind of coldest and hottest conditions that you've had to engineer a race when you're trackside? Is there a big variance? Yeah. Uh, I did a big variance, but just because of COVID, I'll explain better. In 2020, I was doing GT4 Germany, and it was a very compact calendar because they start racing at North August, beginning of September, and they finish in November. So can you imagine Germany, Austria, Zandvoort, uh, that part of Europe, it's very cold in winter, racing in November in Red Bull Ring. We've got, I will remember for my whole life, uh, FP1, my driver opened the radio and said like, uh, okay, God, I think it's snowing. <laughs> and what you answer? It's not something that happened. <laughs> so you have no answer. So yeah, if, if it's not slippery, just stay out. <laughs> the thing. Uh, but yeah, that was the coolest temperature i've got it was like minus two track side uh track, wow. track temperature and we get zero one degree as a hair temperature that was tricky uh, but for sure we discovered why motorsport happened during the summer in europe that's easy <laughs> to understand after you yes. that <laughs> and as hot temperature if you go i don't know sebring in march or you do dubai Oh, Abu Dhabi in winter, you can get high guy temperature. The worst I've got was a 55 track temperature in Monza, uh, 2017, Lotus Cup Italy. Uh, they were, we, we had the car stool, the one you put actually the car on, if you are in a tent, that we need some steel plate on the bottom, otherwise it won't go into the target tarmac for the hot. And that was hard to do. Just because tire won't lost too much it was a short races, but still having issue with the tires at the end because it was just too hot. And uh, if you imagine Lotus kit, clothing kit, it was all gold and black in the sun, oh, wow. humid. I think <laughs> I changed like four t-shirts in two hours, something like that. <laughs> that year, yeah, that was the worst for me. I was Italy. Gosh, that is a range. So you have a track yeah. temperature range of minus two up to 55. Yeah, it, it never happened too much. Normally you are around 20, 30, 40 degrees when it's summer. Uh, you are in the middle of Europe. Uh, but uh, yeah, I did this to peak minus two and 55. Yeah, very good. And, and uh, you know, without going into this for too, lo too much longer, um, I presume you've talked about tyres and, and the fact that perhaps there's a tyre warm-up issue in the cold and a tyre degradation issue in the hot. But are there other engineering factors that you have to think about, you know, like fuel or uh, downforce? Or what does the temperature do to other, other factors? They have effects, but it depends from the car. Of course, if you have a Formula 1 car, aero will be affected much more than a GT3. Uh, for fuel, uh, the GT3, not really. Yeah, you can get you can have slightly different fuel consumption, but you get more difference on how the driver use the car than actual the weather. So, okay, that makes sense. Well, um, look, thank you. That's an impromptu line of questioning, but I really appreciate it. 
So before we um, close the episode, and thanks so much for your time, really, really appreciate it. Anything um, you want to shout out, anything you want to point towards, when will we see you next? What race will we see you at? Uh, yeah, it needs to confirm the GT World Endurance Championship, uh, Endurance Cup soon. So it will be probably Monza, the first event in April for that. For the rest, I'm just, uh, still winter testing. The one important is in two weeks time, 14th of March, British GT Media Day. I'll be there. And then we'll kick up with the season in April. So it will be a round of GT Cup I'm doing. And then will be British GT, GT World Challenge. And go for that. But for now, it's testing only. Well, good luck in Monza. Good luck at the Media Day. Good luck in testing. And, uh, you know, Denz and I might just try and find, you know, where's our, lo- I'm trying to think where our local, we live in near London or in the Southeast. We'll try and find, the, the closest possible round uh, and see. Oh, there uh, are quite a lot. If, if you live around London, you can come Media Day Donington. It's for free. There is no ticket. Yeah. It's oh, Donington wow. is like a couple of hours drive from London. So, yeah, yeah. Well, for us Southerners, you know, t- two hours, you could be up in Manchester or something. You know, it could be completely different. Yeah, action. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We'll, we'll definitely look at that. That would be fantastic. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, we'll, we'll be glad to meet you in person, to be honest. If you come to any British GT round, I'll be there. Fantastic. So, yeah. Silverstone, there is a certain point. So cool. Well, we won't distract you in that nice half an hour uh, hour before the race when we know uh, you're you're looking for a bit of downtime. I know you're not uh, going to be sleeping because it's a short shorter series. But even so, yeah. uh, we, we won't bother you too much. But um, yeah, good luck. Uh, it's really fantastic to have guests that you know you can see their growth, you can see their success and trajectory, and uh, you know the, it feels like the only way is up for you. So uh, congratulations! Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Brilliant. Um, where can people find you um, on social media? Have you got some particular handles that, that are? I mean, if you, if you search for my name, uh, I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram with my private profile. Profile. So just feel free to follow if you want. Is everything open to public, in that sense? And then in terms of uh, motorsport stuff, uh, a cup of racing is my company, as you said at the beginning. Uh, it's available on Instagram. Just search a cup of racing. Uh, Facebook as well. Uh, not on Twitter because it was too much. I think about it, but. I don't need another social media since I'm doing all one man band, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it was too much, yeah. so it's just Facebook and Instagram, and sometimes a bit of LinkedIn, but I'm not really using it. Well, it it's, it sounds like soon you'll have a manager, a management company. Who knows? You know. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, I've got a problem in that because I want to know everything is going on, and then yeah. So why pay someone to do something I can do? <laughs> <That's the thing. laughs> No, no, I know, I know. But maybe a bit like your racing, your particularly your um, esports side, where you're delegating um, the detail. Maybe that's what yeah. the time will come when you're too important to do your own. Maybe, maybe social media. Who knows? We'll see. Um, we'll see. <laughs> but until then, we will pester you and get you back on the podcast, uh, and it will be great. Um, I don't know if you have a summer break. I assume not, uh, but it will be great to have you back to hear how things are going uh, as we go through the year. Yeah, well, maybe during the summer it will be possible. For sure, it's a bit more relaxful than before. So maybe, yeah, we'll be Brilliant. happy to do it. Well, guys, um, thanks if you stuck with us on the episode. Um, do give us a like. Do subscribe to us on your podcast platform or on YouTube. Both, why not? Follow us on Twitter. We've just updated our profile page there. 
Um, we are a podcast that's all about motorsport, but all about getting the stories that are beyond the superficial, hearing from fantastic drivers, brilliant engineers, as we've had today with Davide, uh, media personalities, legends, and up-and-coming talent. So um, this has been F1 Black, your unusual co-host. The privilege to interview Davide De Rossis. Until next time, good night.